We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. One of the more interesting and popular elements of our St. Louis Public Radio website is the Curious Lewis feature. Visitors provide questions about things they've been curious about. We do the research and provide the answers. Two staffers who have been heavily involved are engagement producer Lindsay Toller, who oversees the project, and reporter Shayla Farzan. They join me in studio. Thank you both for being with me. Good Hi, to Don. have you. Nice Thanks. to be here. Lindsay, let me start with you. Give us a quick Cliff Notes version of the background for Curious Lewis. Curious Lewis is a tool that we use um, to get questions from the community that we report. You know, every story starts with a question. Usually the, the question originates within the newsroom. What is the mayor doing today? What is the, you know, the big top story of the day? Um, and we're, uh, we're always going to the public to ask for information. Um, and this, this sort of switches up the, the script. The public is the one who comes to us with a question. And we say, oh, I have no idea. That is a great question. We'll go find out. Sometimes we take them with us. Um, so they get a, a, a sneak peek behind the scenes of what it's like to report a story. And they get to ask their question directly to a source. Um, but that's the whole idea is I like to think of Curious Lewis as, as the most curious person in St. Louis, trying to just answer everybody's questions. Do, do we get a lot of questions? We do. Um, sometimes they're about really specific topics, history, um, environment, stuff like that. And sometimes they're very general stuff. Uh, I think people mostly think of their questions when they're driving into work because we get a lot of questions about things on the side of the road. Right. Shayla, you're a relative newcomer to uh, this organization. This must be a pretty interesting way for you to get to know the community. Absolutely. I think that was one of the reasons why I was so interested in becoming involved in Curious Lewis was because I moved here a little less than a year ago from the West Coast. And there are so many interesting things about this city. Um, and the history is, is pretty amazing and unique. Um, so it was kind of a way for me to get to know St. Louis as well. What are some of the stories that you, you have covered through Curious Lewis? So I've covered two so far. The first was um, about zoo animals at St. Louis Zoo. Um, so the question came from Rachel Duncan. Um, she's a woman who grew up in St. Louis. And the St. Louis Zoo was a huge part of her childhood. Like she felt a really deep personal connection to the animals there. And she wondered if the zookeepers felt that same personal connection. Um, so she asked us what happens when an animal dies at the zoo. She wanted to know whether they had a funeral for the animals um, and whether the keepers felt that same emotional connection she did. Um, so we met with Bill Houston, who's the assistant general curator at St. Louis Zoo. And um, he basically shared some really kind of amazing stories about the animals there and his own connection to them, um, including one story about a babarusa, which is kind of this Indonesian wild pig named Homer. We, we, we have a clip from, from uh, your report on that. Let's listen to what you and he had to say. For some keepers, it's like losing a friend. It is really gut-wrenching for everybody, but in particular for the keepers, because they're working with these animals and they know them really well, and, and they develop, I'm not ashamed to say, they develop a friendship. In Houston's case, that special animal was a pig. There was a uh, babarusa, which is a uh, wild pig from uh, Indonesia, and his name was Homer. <laughs> And he had so much personality because, uh, you know, pigs in general are pretty darn intelligent animals. And he was very personable. Uh, he had his likes and his dislikes. 
just certain food items you'd give him, and he'd kind of look at you like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm eating that last. <laughs> Eventually, Houston says, there came a day when it was time to say goodbye. A staff member stopped by to tell him that Homer was scheduled to be euthanized. They allowed me to come up and say goodbye to Homer. And that was, that was very nice. It was very nice to get one last chance to, to scratch his snout and thank him for a great experience and a great ride together. People do get close to their animals, pets and otherwise, don't they? They absolutely do. That was a very, very touching story. Lindsay, back to you. What are some of the other stories? I think you've done five. Is that correct? Uh, well, I oversee, I oversee the project, so I have the easy job of letting reporters go out and cover the stories. Right. And then I get, I get to see what they've reported. What are some of the others that uh, we have reported? Um, one of my favorites was the question was what happens to all the used baseballs at Bush Stadium? You might have had Mary on to talk about this. We did. We did. It's a great story. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'm <clears throat> I'm a Cardinals fan, which might be a little unusual because I'm from Dallas, Texas. And I, I moved here during uh, the, the Rangers-Cardinals World Series uh, in 2011. So I've been a Cardinals fan ever since. So I was also very curious what happens to those used balls. Well, the, the Cardinals found a way to make money on those used balls, yeah. didn't they? Um, By I mean, selling them back to the fans eventually. Yeah. Sometimes for $45. And so, I mean, a, uh, I think like a single hit by Yadier Molina goes for minimum 120 and then just like the, the price really goes up from there. Yeah. But I but I had always wondered that. And I don't, you know, I don't know that that's really like a huge news story that we would typically do. We don't do a lot of sports reporting. We don't do, a, you know, a ton of that. But this was still a very valuable story that I think said a lot about St. Louis and, and was something that people were curious about. Another of my favorites, and I enjoyed the baseball story. Well, it was none of the Shayla did. And that was, uh, I've wondered about that for as long as I've been in St. Louis. And it, it took a newcomer, if you will, and Curious Lewis to <laughs> solve the problem for me. These water towers, these these freestanding columns. Tell us uh, about that. Yeah, so that, that Curious Lewis story had a little bit of a different setup. Um, so that question came to us from um, listener Hillary Sedovic. And basically, uh, she didn't accompany me for the reporting, but she uh, you know, had moved back to the area. And on her morning commute, she would drive past, um, probably you've seen it, the very tall, white, kind of mm -hmm. Greek-looking column in the traffic circle on north on Grand. And she drove past it every day, and she thought, what is that thing? Um, and so she submitted the question to Curious Lewis. And it turns out, of course, there are three of these really tall stone towers in the city, one on Bissell Street, another one, um, the Compton Hill Tower on South mm -hmm. Grand. Um, and it's funny because I'm, you know, as you mentioned before, I'm a newcomer. I thought the same thing. What are those towers? Um, and so it gave me a chance to go out and do a little bit of reporting. Um, I met a historian from Missouri History Museum, Andrew Wonko, and climbed the tower. Um, and for those of you who have been there, you know, you'll, you'll notice that you can climb these kind of winding staircases along the way and um, get a sense of what these towers were used for. That's the one that surprised me. We have a, another clip from uh, your report on that. Let's listen to that and we'll talk more. To hunt down the answer, I took a trip early this month to the Compton Hill Water Tower. That's the one on South Grand to meet Andrew Wonko with the Missouri History Museum. Good morning. Good morning. Andrew. Andrew, yeah. good to meet you. I'm yeah, Shayla. Nice to meet you. We head inside and slowly climb the 198 iron stairs all the way to the top. So you've got this spiral staircase that goes around the outer edge of the, uh, the brick structure, and then in the center is this huge iron tube. That tube used to hold thousands of gallons of water, 
but it wasn't for storing it. Wonko says before these towers were built in the late 1800s, the city had a big problem with its water system. There was no way to regulate the pressure. So if everybody was using their faucets at once, it had very low pressure. If nobody was using their faucet, you might get hit with a huge blast of pressure that could you know, blow your glass out of your hand if you're trying to fill it up. People never knew what was going to happen. So there you go. There's the answer to the question of those towers. And I, uh, I was totally surprised that water pressure was, uh, was involved in all of this. Yeah, many people think that they were used for storing water, but it was basically a giant shock absorber to keep the water flowing out of the faucets. You know, I've been told that the one on North Grand is the largest freestanding Corinthian column in the world. Did you learn that or hear anything like that during your reporting? I have heard that. There are kind of um, sort of a number of spurious claims floating around about these water towers. Another is that there are only seven left in the United States. I wasn't able to confirm either of those details, but I've heard it as well. Yeah. Lindsay, back to you with regard to uh, some of the other things we've done. Our time is winding down, but um, not all of them are just interesting. Some of them are pretty hard news stories, such as the one on Paul McKee, for instance. Absolutely. Um, We've gathered a lot of questions from listeners about Paul McKee's relationship with St. Louis and the properties that he owns in North St. Louis. Um, We're also following uh, the development in Chinatown. You know, we, folks will su- submit questions sometimes about a really specific news event, and it gives us a chance to look look at it more broadly and give some context. Some some stories, such as the Chinatown stories, mm-hmm. lead to bigger stories for us, more complete stories, if you will. That's right. I mean, the question about Chinatown was why doesn't St. Louis have a big one? And there's an answer to that. But the the you know the news about it is we we sort of do have a Chinatown. We have a really diverse, uh, culturally diverse, interesting neighborhood that is now in danger of being redeveloped into something else. So we're you know the, the history is repeating itself. I guess if we had a Chinatown, uh, and wanted to designate some places Chinatown, it mm-hmm. would be uh, in University City on, on Olive. I guess it is with a number of Chinese restaurants and places to buy Chinese food, if you will. Totally. That right now they're calling that area the Olive Link especially since it's not just Chinese people there. It's really a very diverse neighborhood. Shayla, do you have another assignment yet for Curious Lewis, or are you just waiting for Lindsay to put you to work? Not yet. You know, we, we see the questions roll in, and we absolutely love getting them from listeners, so keep them coming. How do you decide, uh, finally, what question to answer, Lindsay? Um, it's a little bit like matchmaking. I want the question and the and the reporter to be a really good match. And so mm-hmm. I want to find I, I want to find somebody who's going to be as passionate about the question as the person who asked it. Do you have another one picked out yet or another couple that you're considering? Not yet. We have some more about McKee that we need to be looking into. But, um, you know, if, if you want to submit a question, the, the box is always on our homepage. That's all people have to do is mm-hmm. uh, go to our website, stlpublicradio.org. The rest is up to you guys. That's right. Thank you both.